0: Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, we are going to head today to two passages in the Gospels. The first is in Mark chapter 6, and then the second being in John chapter 6. We are uh, this week in the first week of Lent. Uh, Lent is the 40 days uh, before Easter. It is a time of preparation for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Lent is often practiced through prayer and fasting, uh, through almsgiving, and so we at Northbrook have curated some resources to help you enter into Lent, and I just wanted to take a moment and show you those. Uh, they're all on our website, so if you'll look on our screen here, brought up our Northbrook website, northbrookchurch.org. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you're going to find a tab that says Spiritual Practices for Lent. If you click on that, it will be brought to this page. You can scroll down uh, here to the middle of the page. If we stop here... All of the readings for all of the sermons for all of Lent are here along with the reading guide. So I encourage you to make use of those. Then if you scroll down a little bit further, there are additional tabs. One tra- tab will take you to prayer resources. The second one will take you to fasting resources. And the third, uh, almsgiving resources. And if you're like, what is almsgiving? Almsgiving is an old word that simply means giving to the poor. And there are some organizations that we partner with uh, listed there. And then finally, uh, at the bottom of the page, that website, dailylectio.net, if you click on that, there are readings every day for Lent that are different than the ones at the top, so I do hope you'll take advantage of all of those things during the celebration of Lent. So now, let's just take a moment and quiet our hearts and minds as we prepare to receive from the scriptures. Amen. <clears throat> How many would you, of you would agree that food is important? Right. Most of us eat two or three times a day. Unless, of course, you're a hobbit, then it's more like seven. Because hobbits, as you know, have first breakfast and second breakfast and 11 Z's and lunch and tea and dinner and supper. I would make a fantastic hobbit. (laughs) Love to eat. A situation happened in my life uh, around a meal. It was a stressful situation, really. It was the year 2000. I had taken 15 teenagers on a mission trip to Peru. And it was a great trip. Beautiful country. loved, Loved every minute of it. But on the last day... We were flying out of the city of Lima, and I just wanted American food. Now, I love Peruvian food, but after 10 days, I was ready for like a burger or something. And so I said to our host before we flew out that day, is there an American place that we can go for breakfast in this city? And he said, oh, yes, there is a place called New York Bagel. Like, that sounds like my kind of place. So we're going to go there. Uh, we got four or five taxis. Uh, this is before Uber. This is before most people had cell phones, and I just started putting teenagers into taxicabs with drivers that did not speak English and students that did not speak Spanish. Send them off. We're going to meet at New York Bagel. Well, I get into my taxi with my host, who's fluent in Spanish, and he says to the driver, "Take us to New York Bagel." And the driver looks back at us with a curious look in his eye, and he said, there's nowhere here called New York Bagel. To which I said, where did you just send 15 teenagers? He then looked at us and said, well, there's a, there's a place called Big Apple Bagel. Would you like to go there? I'm like, well, might as well. So we went to Big Apple Bagel. I got there, and no teenagers. 30 minutes go by, no teenagers. At this point, I'm trying to decide how I'm going to get my wife to Peru because I'm not going home without these kids. matter of fact, I'm never going home if I've got to explain to parents why I lost their children in one of the biggest cities in Latin America. Out of desperation, as I was praying, I walked to the edge of the street corner, which was... Adjacent to a large roundabout with four lanes of traffic, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye a tab go by with some of our kids in it, and I just started jumping up and down. Flagged them down. All right, I got four. <clears throat> <laughs> After a while, another one goes by. Flag it down. All right, I got, I got eight. We're getting closer. By the end of the day, I flagged them all down. We all had bagels, and all was well. But in that moment, I thanked God for either a genius stroke of luck or his abundant provision. Over the course of Lent, we're going to look at some stories of Jesus sitting at the table. This weekend, we're going to enter into a story that's found in all four of the Gospels. It's the only story found in all four of the Gospels, and it is the story of God's incredible Provision of abundance. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It is it is the middle of nowhere, Jesus. And it's already late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take half a year's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, well, we have five and a couple of fish. Then Jesus directed all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. The story begins with Jesus and his disciples concluding a very hectic and busy day of ministry and they just needed a break. You ever just need a break? You ever just tired of people? Not that you don't like people, but after a while you're just kind of done. Like I can feel it in my body. When I'm done, I'm done and I need a break. So the apostles they reported to Jesus what they had done. And they were so busy, in fact, that they did not even have a chance to eat. I mean, if you're so busy that you don't have a chance to eat, you're probably too busy. So Jesus says, let's, let's go to a quiet place and go rest for a while. Now, now Jesus has reached celebrity status. He's worked miracles opened the eyes of the blind, healed the sick. Everybody's talking about Jesus. He is surrounded by people and probably first century paparazzi. Who is this man? So they get into a boat. They cross the Sea of Galilee at the northern end of the lake. The Sea of Galilee is more a lake than it is a sea. They cross the northern tip, but the people... They so want to be around Jesus. They go on foot around the northern tip of the lake and they meet Jesus on the other side. They get there before he arrives. Apparently the disciples paddle slowly. They land in a city called Bethsaida, which is a fishing village. And the disciples get out of the boat and see the crowds again. And I'm sure they looked at the crowds and said, oh, are you kidding me? We just did this. But Jesus' response is very different. Jesus is not irritated with the crowds for chasing them down. He actually looks at them with compassion. The word compassion, as translated in this story, uh, is the New Testament Greek word splognesomai. The word "splagnesomai" is only used in the New Testament and only used to describe Jesus. Splognesomai is a verb, not just something that you feel. Now, we've all experienced compassion, right? Maybe you've seen a commercial on TV for the Christian Relief Fund and there's poor children in the street and you feel something. Or maybe you've heard Sarah McLaughlin sing in the arms of an angel for the SPCA and you've seen all those poor abused animals and you were filled with compassion. But then the commercial changed, you ate your Doritos and moved on. That's not what the word splognesomai means. It means to have compassion with the intention of acting on it. And so Jesus sees these people and he has splod knees on my, he sees them differently because they are like, well, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're they're kind of lost in life. I regularly have conversations with individuals that go something like this. Mike, I just want to grow in my faith. I just want to go deeper in my faith. Well, the word that we use to describe that in Christianity is the word disciple. And the word disciple means to become like your teacher. So, so going deeper in our faith simply means becoming more like Jesus, which begins with love of God and seeing people differently. So Jesus sees people differently. It's been a long day and now everybody's hungry. Maybe even a little bit hangry. The disciples said to Jesus, it's a remote place. It's late Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and buy themselves something to eat, which is where this gets interesting. But Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. Wait a minute, Jesus. Nobody was planning on feeding anybody. This conference did not include a meal voucher. I don't know what we're going to do. Jesus, that would take... Half a year's wages to feed all of these people. The disciples are overwhelmed with the problem and their complaint. Echoes the complaint of Moses in the desert as he says to God, God, how am I going to feed all of these people? See, the disciples are living with a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality happens when you are obsessed with the lack of something when you focus on something that you do not have. I typed the phrase scarcity mentality into Google, and I was taken to an article on WebMD, the site in which my wife forbids me to go to, but I went to anyway. And I found out that scarcity mentality is a real thing, at least according to WebMD. A scarcity mentality can, in fact, according to... To this article, lower your IQ by 14 points. Living with a scarcity mentality can actually limit the function of your brain. And yet, marketing and advertising capitalizes on a scarcity mindset because it makes you long for something that you do not have. I mean, how often have we discovered a new product that we did not know existed, but now we cannot live without Network news uses the tactic of scarcity to keep us angry and scared because when I'm angry and scared, somebody makes money. When I'm told there's not enough, it's not safe enough, I begin to feel something. And let me challenge you, when when you watch the news this week, just pay attention to how it makes you feel. A scarcity mentality leads to dissatisfaction with everything because it's never enough. And so the disciples are in the desert in the middle of nowhere living with a scarcity mindset. Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? Now the story says there were 5,000 men, but there were more than likely women and children as well. So most believe the number was probably more like 20,000 people in the desert and Jesus says feed them. But Jesus, we don't have any money because you told us not to take any with us. We'd be provided for. Jesus, our rations are small. Jesus, we've counted and we don't have enough. You ever felt like you don't have enough? You ever felt like you're not enough? You ever live with a scarcity mentality? But Jesus, Jesus steps in and he demonstrates for us an abundant mentality by asking a simple question. What do you have? What do you have? Let's focus on that. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they have five loaves and, and two fish. So what they essentially had was lunch. Jesus, we, uh, we have some bread and It was most likely small barley loaves, the food of the poor. We've got that, Jesus, and we we have some fish. I mean, this really isn't even lunch for the 12 of us, let alone the 20,000 that are gathered. And so Jesus takes the lunch bag, looks at it, looks at the crowd, says, I can make that work. And so Jesus in this story teaches us what it means to live at the table of abundance. See, that living at the table of abundance begins by focusing on what it is that you do have rather than what it is that you lack. Jesus asks the people to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they all sit down in hundreds and fifties, groups that were similar to the groups that Moses led in the wilderness, and they sit down and it becomes a picnic. And they're all wondering, I'd be wondering, what is going on here? Why did Jesus ask us to sit down? Are there food trucks coming? <laughs> I hope there's a falafel one. I love falafel. So I suppose there was this feeling of, of expectation. What is it that's going to happen? See, when I take inventory of what it is that I do have, when I look at life from an abundance mentality that leads me to express gratitude in all things. Jesus takes the bread and the fish, looks to heaven and, and prays. He gave thanks. He breaks the loaves. We don't know the content of his prayer, but it was probably the common Jewish table prayer that went, praise be to you, O Lord, our King, king of the world who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. And he starts to break the bread. I wonder what life would look like if when we woke up, we began with a prayer of gratitude. And before we laid our head on the pillow at night, we once again looked to heaven and offered God a prayer of gratitude for what it is that we have. No, life's not perfect. We sometimes lack and sometimes things really don't go our way. And yet we can still offer gratitude to God in all things. As as the story continues, we, we see that Jesus practices living with abundance by being generous with everyone. He gave the pieces to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish. They ate, and they were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. In this story, there is an eclectic group of people, and yet everyone's invited to the table. Jesus was not concerned with their religious affiliation. He was not concerned with moral behavior or political leanings. He simply said, sit down, I'm going to give you something to eat. And they ate till they were satisfied, which means they they had their fill. They were full. They were stuffed, which is not something they were used to. See, in a peasant society, you were concerned where your next meal was going to come from, let alone eating until you were full. And these men, women, and children ate until they were stuffed. It was a rare experience. See, today, Jesus is inviting us to that same table of abundance, See, Jesus not only meets people in their ordinary hunger. No, no, no. This story is so much more than lunch. It is a demonstration of the kingdom of God, which has come near. God coming to his people. I want to take a moment now and and, and change the camera angle, because again, this story is told in all four of the Gospels. In John's Gospel, we get some details that Mark leaves out. John chapter six, beginning verse one and two, same story. So Jesus has crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So they came because they saw something. They were intrigued. We go to verses five through 14. It's the same story. Jesus has compassion on the people. He teaches them. He feeds them. He breaks bread and fish. Then the story ends in Mark. But in John's version, as the story ends, Jesus, after he feeds the 5,000, gets back in the boat and goes back to the other side of the lake. And again, the people run around the northern tip of the lake and they beat Jesus to the other side. Someone needs to give the disciples rowing lessons. And when they get out of the boat, verse 25, they found him and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which is an odd question, because I just saw him step out of the boat. So so the question is more more passive-aggressive. It's like, you, you know when you want to get something from somebody, but you don't really want to ask directly? You kind of make small talk first. Hey, how's it going, man? It's nice outside today. Can I borrow 50 bucks? It's kind of like that. But Jesus sees right through it. Verse 26, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Be honest, guys. You're here for the food. And Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the truth. You're following me because of you ate, you had your full, they were there because of what Jesus could do for them. The challenge with that, what we all know about relationships, is it is impossible to have a healthy relationship with someone who's always trying to get something out of you. Then they asked Jesus, verse 28, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I read this and I think, are you serious? Like you were just over there. You saw what he did. You saw the sign. You saw the loaves and fish. Are you like trying to get dessert now? Do you want cake to appear? What are you looking for? I just I just fed you with a snack pack all 20,000 of you. Did you not see it? And Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Very presumptive, presumptuous of them. Then Jesus declared, I'm, I'm it. What you're looking for is me. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. and Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That is the language of Abundance. For as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall receive eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this? The Jews began to grumble, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter whose father and mother that we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the whole world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Again, Jesus has healed the sick. Open the eyes of the blind, raised the dead. He's miraculously fed them, and now they're arguing about doctrine and theology. And Jesus said to them, verse 53, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Calpurnium. On hearing it, the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware of this, the disciples were grumbling about Jesus. He said to them, does this offend you? We're always offended. Let's, let's enter into the story for just a minute. Now Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. He's, it's a metaphor. He's talking about the table of communion. He's he's talking about what's going to happen at the Passover, but it's not happened yet, and they don't know that. All they hear is eating flesh and drinking blood. It sounds a bit like cannibalism. They don't quite get the metaphor yet. And so they're offended. Verse 62, "...then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing." The words I have spoken you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I read that lengthy passage because Jesus is speaking about what it means to live in the abundance of the kingdom of God. Now the people were frustrated because Jesus did not give them what they wanted and because they did not get what they wanted they left. Many stopped following Jesus which begs the question for us what are we in this for? Is our spiritual life about what we can get? Is it about the food? Have we taken for granted what it is that Jesus actually is offering? I've had dozens and dozens of conversations with individuals that go something like this. You know, Pastor Mike, I I stopped going to church or I changed churches a lot because I was going and I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Now, of course, we do receive, right? We know that. But as long as all of it is something I can get out of it, we will really never get it. See, this is no small thing that Jesus invites us into. Jesus is inviting us all into a life of abundance. John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly, to give it to you fully. And so maybe we we need to make some relational shifts to sit at Jesus with the table of abundance. I mean, when I pray, am I praying because of my relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or are my prayers simply a laundry list of things I want God to do for me, and when he doesn't, I get frustrated and leave, just like the disciples? Or, Or when I come to worship, regardless of the songs that are being sung or the readings, am I coming to offer a sacrifice of praise or just to have my musical tastes met? And when I come to church and feel like I've got nothing out of it, could it be, is it possible that the reason I'm here today is because God is using me to be the answer to someone else's prayer and I'm here for them, I'm not really here for me at all? And when the Bible is open, do I Do I have a sense of expectation that God is going to speak through it, even if the pastor speaking stinks? I read an article this week about a man named Zach. Zach was invited to speak at a chapel service at a university, and when he was done speaking, he was very discouraged. His exact words were, I totally whiffed that sermon. He even texted his wife and said, another stinker, I'll be home soon. The university that he spoke at is called Asbury University. After he was done speaking, something began to happen on the college campus of Asbury University. If you've been following the news at all, you can't miss it. It's everywhere. God has done something unique Through that student body, some call it an awakening, some call it a revival. But to date, between fifty and 70,000 people have gone to that college to experience the unique thing that God was doing. What I love about it is it started with a sermon that stinks. It was about students who simply wanted more of God. It was marked by repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, grace, and joy. No celebrities were allowed. When someone tried to platform themselves or pray angry political prayers, they were politely escorted out of the building. It was a welcoming of the abundance of God, which is not something you can force. It's not something you can make happen. So the question I leave with us today is, Are we going to live at the table of scarcity or are we going to sit with Jesus at the table of abundance? Because when we sit with Jesus at the table of abundance, the world starts to notice. We're going to conclude today with a song called At the Table. I'm going to invite you to be seated while our worship team sings it. And I hope over the next few moments you will receive this song as a prayer. So, over the next 40 days of Lent, together we're going to meet Jesus at the table. Would you stand and receive this morning's benediction? So, go now in the grace, the peace, and the truth of God. And this week, my prayer is that you meet Jesus at the table of abundance.